All right, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Run Free Podcast. This is episode number 26, and uh, this one, we're going to cover a ton of ground, so hold on tight. This is uh, how Olympians train, eat, and sleep, so kind of a lot of ground to cover. Some of this stuff I've kind of hit on before in uh, those early podcasts, if you guys listened to those, um, when I was going through each one of our five-finger approaches to training at Run Free, um, so there'll be a little bit of repeating there, but also some new stuff, so um, hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, but before we dig into that, we had a big event in the Hall House last, actually it was yesterday, feels like it was a long time ago because I've been up for so long, but um, big shift in the amount of testosterone in our house, which I'm personally excited about because as you guys know, if you know my story, I've been vastly outnumbered in the testosterone category with uh, me and my little dog, Mr. Dash, being the only male, and then we're, uh, you know, we have four daughters, two female dogs, plus Sarah, so we are vastly outnumbered until uh, yesterday morning, 4.45 a.m., Jasmine, my uh, 12-year-old, she wakes me up in the middle of the night and she's all excited because I was sleeping with Mita, our youngest dog, and Mita was uh, starting to breathe heavy and was pregnant, and we're thinking maybe it's going into labor, and then sure enough, 4.45 a.m., I uh, tried my hands out at delivery (laughs) <laughs> which was which was fun and slightly gross to be honest uh, at the end of delivering five pups I was feeling slightly nauseous as I headed out the door to my doctor's appointment and uh, puppy number six came and uh, Mia our now 16 year old she just celebrated her birthday this week as well uh, delivered that six one so five boys and one girl so we're still outnumbered in my house, but we're getting closer. We're just down one now. So that's been super fun. And you guys might think, probably not the best timing in the world, having six puppies uh, two day, two weeks and a couple days before the uh, marathon trial's coming up. And, you know, you'd be right as an outside observer, but a couple of things, um, you know, obviously – you only have so much choice with nature, right? Like Mita went into heat. And she, well, I guess I never knew this, but dogs only go into heat once every two months. So when they go into heat, if you're trying to have puppies, you have two shots a year. So she went into heat and Obi, who uh, Rachel, run free, Rachel, our coach run free, our coach run free, our coach Rachel that coaches for run free, coaches at Liberty, and I coach her as well, amazing runner. Um, she also has a mini Siberian Husky that we bred uh, Mito with so we got yeah new crew here and the timing is actually I think in my mind it's perfect because here's the thing I don't know if you guys experience this when you're getting ready for your big races whatever it is whether it's you know your local 5k that you're super excited about or the Boston Marathon or the Olympic Games or Olympic Trials doesn't really matter what it is we all kind of experience the same sensation in the last few weeks before where you get like like you're just kind of like borderline stressed out all the time, you know, like you're like rinsing with um, hand sanitizer, like all over your body. You're just using that constantly. And you're just constantly in this kind of like low state of stress. And that is I obviously um, not the ideal state to be in. Funny though, to think back to myself when I was in those moments and uh, you know, it's not the best state to be in, but you just can't like get yourself out of it. So I remember uh, my older brother, Steve, he used to accompany us down to track meets when I was in high school. And um, he was always really good at just like making me laugh and kind of getting me out of that kind of 
borderline stressed out state all the time so you know if you have funny people in your life good to hang out with them i always tell my athletes like leading up to competitions watch funny movies funny youtube videos like anything you can do to laugh um it's kind of like i don't know if you guys read i think it's called like the zone it's a book like decades ago i'm kind of dating myself here but they talk about all these different states that you can be in so it's like low positive high positive, low negative, high negative. And obviously the low states are just like kind of chilled out. Like so you're chilled out mad or you're chilled out happy. And then the high states are like really up, energized, energetic. So you're really mad, really upset, or like really happy, super excited. And they talk about the state you want to be in leading up to your competition being that kind of like low positive state. And so puppies is another amazing way to get in that low positive state. If you guys have been around puppies, you know what I'm talking about. I call it puppy therapy because anytime like you're feeling a little bit bummed out, a little bit stressed out, you just pick up one of those puppies and all those things just kind of melt away. And you're just like, ah. Oh. Okay, everything's good. Puts you right, kicks you right into that low positive state. So, um, perfect timing for Sarah. She's getting ready for the trials to uh, not be in that borderline stressed out state and be able to enjoy these little creatures we have running around our house. Well, not running around. They're just sitting and sleeping and drinking milk constantly. (laughs) So, anyway, it's been super fun. Uh, The other thing I wanted to tell you guys about was, uh, oh, just... I want to just kind of hit on um, going, kind of expanding on that, like going into the trials. And I was thinking about this a lot recently because I've just been kind of feeling this increasing sense of peace as the trials are getting closer and closer. Like I said, it's two weeks from tomorrow. So it's really coming up. And as it gets closer, I've kind of been surprised by kind of just how much peace I'm feeling about it. And obviously, you know, I'm not the one racing but very involved in Sarah and her preparation and Joe is another athlete that I'm coaching and we have two other run free athletes who are uh, competing in the trials and we'll have one coach and one athlete so um but just kind of like almost like trying to figure out like why am I feeling just so good about this and so peaceful going into this race like if there's just one word to explain kind of how where I'm at right now two weeks out as a coach it's just peace i just feel just flooded with peace and not to say that to be like oh i'm so like amazing i have all this peace i'm like zen master (laughs) that's not what i'm trying to say here but more just like trying to figure out like how do i always be in this state because i love like feeling how i'm feeling right now it feels like i don't know if you guys have ever experienced this like you're somewhere it's freezing cold and maybe like a ski retreat or something like that and they have a hot tub and you're like running out to the hot tub because it's outside and it's freezing cold and the stars are blazing and you're just shivering like crazy and then you hop into this hot tub and it's just like oh this feels so you know that that first like 10 seconds you get in the hot tub and you're just like melting inside just feels like so amazing like that's kind of how i'm feeling right now going into the trials which is a really cool feeling but like i want to i've experienced this a few times throughout my career i think going back to the 2012 olympic trials i felt the same way so i was just thinking about it a lot this week like how do i personally as a coach i want to be able to like always be in the state going into races no matter how the training has gone and so i've been thinking a lot about peace going into races and being able to find that peace in that state of just like I'm just good right now. Like I'm just in a good spot. And like, I I don't know what's going to happen in this race, but like, I just feel ready and I feel full of peace and I just feel good, you know? And I think 
I want all of our athletes, I want all you guys who are listening to this podcast to go into whatever race you're getting ready for. I don't care if it's Olympic trials or whatever little race, big race, whatever race. I just want you to have the same sense of just like, ah, oh, like peace. Like I'm just good right now. So I, was, I just really been thinking about it a lot. And I was thinking finding peace going into a race and in the weeks leading up to it, I, I was kind of thinking it's like an onion. Like there's different layers I just got a flashback distracting myself with Shrek right now. Ogres are like onions. <laughs> um, no, but peace is like an onion, right? It's like layers of peace. And I was thinking, I was like, you know, I think with Sarah in particular, I feel a ton of peace because everything has, she just had a picture perfect buildup, you know, like PRing for the half marathon in Houston a couple of weeks back and her training has just gone perfectly like she hasn't missed one workout she really hasn't had one bad workout not every workout has been like hit it out of the park great like that but they've all been solid workouts and some of them have been great workouts so you know obviously there's that very superficial level of peace you can have going into a race where you just have that build up where everything clicks you know but I was thinking, I was like, well, it can't really be about that though, you know, because most buildups aren't that way. I'd say, you know, I did a lot of marathons throughout my career and I maybe had like two or three buildups that went that way and all the other ones didn't. And it didn't mean I wasn't going to race well. It just meant that there was some uneasiness in those weeks leading up to the race. So you guys probably know what I'm talking about if you've been racing for any amount of time where you didn't have the perfect buildup and you still got to like try and get yourself in a good spot leading into a race so we need to dig a little deeper we need to go another layer down and trying to find peace so thinking about like kind of that next level of peace that i i could identify and i think there's a lot of different things that can give you peace by the way but these are kind of like three that i could really nail down for myself so that next level of peace that i was thinking about is that peace that comes from knowing that you did everything you could think to do like you left no stone unturned you brought all of you to every single hard workout you were smart on the recovery days you took it easy you your nutrition was as good as you could make it to be your rest was on point you were doing all those little things right like there's a deep peace that kind of comes from like well maybe i didn't have the picture perfect build up but man i put it all out there and yeah, I have no idea how this race is going to go, but I can find peace in the fact that there was nothing left I could have done. And that's, that is a very real way to have peace going into the race, something you can fall back on and be like, you know what, at the end of the day, I did everything I could do. And that's, that's a really nice kind of warming peace that you can experience. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes you don't have that peace either. Like I know like for perfectionists especially, you always feel like there's something else you could have done, right? And you, it's so easy to look back at your buildup, be like, oh, I kinda messed up that workout, I didn't set it up well, or maybe I should have done this differently, and I can identify mistakes that I made, so I can't really say that I put all of me out there. Um, and so you don't have that level of peace. So you gotta dig down deeper. And I think this deepest level of peace that I think of for me is the most powerful piece because it transcends all the rest of those layers of um, peace that you can find and you can find it every single time and i think that piece 
comes from knowing that you are okay without this. And we've talked about this a lot on this podcast before, but man, it's really hit me strong this week. Just being okay. Like there's that cool runnings line. I swear this is like one of the best lines of any Hollywood movie I've ever heard. If you guys haven't seen cool runnings, I'm I'm dating myself left and right here today, but definitely check it out. But there's this classic line where the coach is talking to uh, the bobsled, you know, it's a Jamaican bobsled team. He's talking to the driver of the bobsled team and uh, is before they're like going out into the Olympics. And he was telling him, he's like, he's like, listen, if you're not good enough without it, Without the gold medal, you'll never be good enough with it. And uh, man, that that's powerful. That is so true. And you know, we've talked about that before. Like you are enough in everything that you want. Do you think that you're going to gain from running that performance you so desperately want to run? You already have that inside of you, and you are good enough without it. I think for Sarah and I, you know, we've been through five Olympic trials together and this is her six Olympic trials and um, you know she's never made a team before and so we know what it's like to invest all of yourself to put everything into something and fall short and just not get it and we know that at the end of the day like we're okay and you know my love for Sarah doesn't change her love for herself doesn't change based on her performances like we found a deeper sense of valuing ourselves and being able to really rest in the fact that I am enough without this and I am okay without this. And when you can really find that, that I am okay without this-ness, if, that's, if that makes sense to you guys, when you can find that, that's when all the pressure is gone and it just lifts off your shoulders and you can do like what I wrote about in my book in the last chapter where you can really go out there and compete totally burden free and like you already won because you are enough and you've what's inside of you is enough and you don't have to gain this performance that you so desperately want to happen it just takes all the pressure right off so you know that level of peace is what I want to always carry as a coach coming into meets because I believe, you know, coaches like their demeanor, what they bring to races, their interaction with their athletes rubs off on their athletes, you know, and, um, and it's just a fun way to go to a meet. Like I feel so good right now thinking about heading to Atlanta, but at the same time, like I'm not even in a rush to get there. Like I, I feel, and I was talking with Sarah about this, um, recently, I was just like, I just feel just good like we should just enjoy this next couple weeks and just enjoy this whole experience and you know we have no idea what's going to happen for in sarah's instance out in the race like i have no idea what kind of fitness everyone else is in so you know i cannot find peace in the fact that i know she's going to make the olympic team because at the end of the day like i don't know like no one knows right and so if your coach is telling you like i know you're going to make this team or i know you're going to hit this time I don't know. I don't know if they know that, you know. Um, Not many people can see crystal balls, at least not that I know of. So anyways, that's kind of my rant on on finding peace going into big races for you guys. And I I really, like I said, everyone who's listening, I hope that you can find that deepest level of peace so that when you show up to your race, you're just filled with this kind of like warmth, like I'm okay, like I'm good. I'm, I'm just excited now. I'm just excited to get out there and see what happens. So... Anyways, that was a long intro, 15-minute intro to 
to uh, this podcast. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if we get all the way through this. I might have to enter into my auctioneering voice, so you might need to like slow it down. You know how sometimes you speed up the podcast because you're kind of bored and the person's talking really slow, so you go like time and a half or one point five. Well, this time maybe you have to go the other direction if I enter my auctioneer voice. Anyways, let's get into it. Hold on a second. Here in little Mita. Hey. Whoa, what's the matter? All right, guys, we're going to have to pause for a second here. All right, sorry. We'll pause there. Mita was freaking out because her puppies were sleeping apart from her. So we're all good. We're all good. All right, so anyways, let's let's get into this podcast. Uh, how Olympians train. And these are kind of, you know, not a specific training plan, obviously, but more just like principles kind of thing that – Uh, athletes train by so number one uh, they find the right effort level so man i've gotten to observe a lot of different training groups so this is especially important for you guys who train in training groups that you need to realize running the right effort level is super super important for example you know a lot of guys there'll be 30 40 guys training together in a training group in kenya or ethiopia and they're all doing the same exact workout but some guys are benefiting a whole lot more from that workout than other people in the group. And the guys who are benefiting the least are the guys who are really struggling to hang on to the back end of that group, and they're essentially racing their workouts. So that's what I've observed with uh, looking at other Olympians is they kind of find that sweet spot where they're going hard, but it's not a race. So you never want to feel like you're racing your workouts. All right, number two. Uh, they train just very specifically to their event. So they're focused, right? Like they're not just painting broad strokes with their training. Like if they're training for the 1500, like they have some very specific 1500 meter workouts that they're doing. And usually they're training below the event, at the event. You know, they're doing 800 meter work, they're doing 1500 meter work, and they're doing uh, even longer, like 5K type training. So it's important and relevant, I think, to everyone who's listening to this podcast in the sense that you can't, you need to train specifically for your event, but remember you also need to train below your event. You need to train slightly above your event in terms of intensity levels. But the the workout that you really target the most should be the one that's super, super specific to what you're doing to your event. All right, uh, number three, they make sacrifices. So you know, example of this is usually, and I say usually because Sarah, doesn't follow this principle very well but usually like when you're really sharp in the half marathon you're actually not very sharp in the marathon for example so just know that when you're doing marathon training and you're showing up for a half marathon tune-up race don't expect a pr and even that was my conversation with sarah say before houston for example it's like we're not trying to pr we're just getting in good effort and it's kind of like you're going to take whatever you get you might run great you might run terrible but just realize that you're gonna have to make sacrifices in your training and you can't be fit across the board at like, you can on the track, but it's very difficult to be really half marathon fit, really 10K fit and really marathon fit all at the same time. So just realize like when you're focusing your training as in that last example, you gotta kind of choose one that you're really targeting and realize that your other events will kind of suffer a little bit. Uh, Number four, they find a way to stay healthy, um, doing prehab treatment. So really, really important, kind of knowing your tendencies, knowing things that typically flare up for you. That's one of the questions we ask in our athlete intake form is um, what type of running usually gives you the greatest chance of getting hurt? Um, what kind of exercises can you do to 
not get hurt. It's really important that you know that for you and that you stay on top of those prehab um, exercises so that you're not getting banged up. And you see this with Olympic athletes, they're really good at staying out in front of their injuries. All right, number five, uh, they're aggressive in training, but they're also aggressive in rest. So aggressive on both fronts. Um, you know, you got to have your days where, you know, like you have your A workout of the week where you're really going for it and you're being aggressive, but then you have to aggressively rest after that. I always, you know, I said in my book, like anyone can train super hard like a madman, but it takes real confidence to rest. So it doesn't help you if you're super aggressive in training, if you're not also resting as well. And yet in that rest, it doesn't mean days off. Like that can be active rest. Like for example, with my lifting, I lift super hard every day, but I don't hit another body part. Like I just did chest and back today and I'm not going to hit that again for another four days. So I'm aggressively training, but I'm also giving myself four days to recover from that effort. So make sure that you're aggressively resting. Uh, number six, they have long-term view of gaining fitness. Uh, and then they look for and celebrate the little gains. So this one's super, super important. It's that perception of like, okay, my fitness is not going to change overnight because I just started this new training plan or um, because now I got things dialed in, you know, like, like say maybe you made a lot of changes in this new year. Realize like those changes might take months and months and even years of progress to um, really show themselves. So you got to be super patient and have that long-term perspective. And with that goes with just celebrate every single little victory you get, every single little bad workout. I mean, <laughs> celebrate every bad workout. If you can do that, you're really good. Um, no, celebrate just every single little breakthrough along the way and actually like be okay, like knowing that there's also going to be some bad workouts mixed in there. Not every workout needs to be a home run. All right, number seven. Uh, they have found what's... Oh, they found what works for them and then they make small refinements within that. So this, I have this tendency, or at least I did when I was running professionally to kind of like try something and then just throw it all out if it wasn't working. But I found like a much healthier perspective is to know what works for you and then just make little tweaks, little refinements as you're going. So you, obviously you can't just repeat the same training over and over and over and over again. Um, your body gets used to it. It stops growing. It stops getting stronger. It stops getting faster. So you do need to be making small little tweaks, but they need to be small little tweaks, not just like throw out the whole plan and start from scratch. All right, number eight, uh, they have a pre-setup schedule they stick to. Um, so they work out at times where their energy is the best. So this one, super important, like know yourself, know when is your energy the best and can I possibly, and I realize like a lot of you guys have jobs and kids and all that, like I'm with you, I, I don't always get to choose what time of day I work out at. Sometimes you're just sneaking it in when you can. But if at all possible, like try to work out when your energy is the best. This is super, super important. Um, interestingly enough, they found with lifting in particular that it's actually ideal to work out like around 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And I've totally observed this to be true, which is different than running. I usually feel the best in the morning when I was running. Um, but with lifting, I definitely i am way stronger in the afternoon. Um, so you can kind of also experiment with different times, right, and find what time your energy is the best. All right, number nine, they do the 1%. So, you know, we have that 1% category. I run free training with weights and self-massage and all that stuff. 
And really like that should be kind of like if you the last thing that you do, like if you can fit it into your schedule, do those things. Like don't, you know, be super stressed out because you're not doing those things. But, you know, if you're really looking to get 100% out of your body, you do that extra 1% category and Olympians do do that. All right. Uh, they have consistency. Oh, they have consistency working. Sorry, I'm reading my sloppy whiteboard that I write on and it's not always super clear. So uh, they have consistency working in their favor. Again, this is kind of going back to that long-term approach. It's like consistency, it can be your best friend or it can be your worst enemy, depending on if you're consistently doing things that are gonna help you achieve your goal or not. So man, consistency, if you, if you told me to like nail down one thing that's most important for training and getting the most out of yourself, I would, I would have to go with consistency. It's just, there's just no way around it. Like if you're going to maximize your potential, consistency is king. And, you know, don't beat yourself up if, if that's not you and you haven't been consistent in the past, but just, just realizing and acknowledging that consistency is really what's going to get you to your goals might help you to start to be more consistent and just and realize that consistency is something you can build too, right? It's not like you have to go from being extremely inconsistent to all of a sudden every single day perfect. Like I think that's why most goals in New Year's resolutions, for example, don't happen is because we're trying to make a 180 degree turn when really it's like, let's just make little tiny improvements over a long period of time. Let's make consistency in trying to establish consistency, you know, like realize like you don't have to change overnight just try to get a little bit more consistent and then the next week just try and get a little bit just a tad more consistency and just realize that this is something that can be built it doesn't it's not like you either are consistent or you aren't it's you, you there's a spectrum right so realize that that is something you can build all right number 11 uh they're willing to cross the fatigue line so um you know, you have to be willing to experiment and go across, sometimes cross the line. The only way to know where the line is in terms of how hard you can train is to sometimes cross it. Like that's the only way. So you, you know, choose, choose wisely and awfully, obviously you're trying to set it up as best you can to not cross over and get super fatigued, but there are times where you actually need to cross that line. So you know where the line is. So do what you want with that one. Uh, number 12, uh, they realize fitness isn't linear. And this is so true. And I think what discourages a lot of people when they are training is they just expect it to be up and to the right, right? Like it just keeps gradually getting better and better in terms of fitness. But that's not real life. Like, you know, sometimes you go way up, you see big breakthrough and kind of plateau off or maybe even go down. And then you're working for, you know, it can be years and years. And then finally you hit a big breakthrough again. So just realizing that you know, it's not realistic to think that you're just going to get on any training plan. Like you're just going to get better and better and better. I mean, I guess it could happen, but if it happens, great. But I would not go into training having that expectation that that's going to happen because you're likely to end up disappointed. All right, number 13, uh, they track their progress. So Olympians write down they some place where they're tracking their fitness level so they can know if their training is working or not. 
it's really hard sometimes to evaluate fitness just based on a race because oftentimes like you have a really good buildup training has gone really well and then for whatever reason you just don't get the race and so you got to be able to look back at your training logs and be like look i didn't get the race but it's very clear from my training log the training is progressing it's getting better i'm on the right course i don't need to make huge you know changes maybe you need to tweak your taper a little bit or tweak your nutrition uh, leading into that big race but um it, the only way to know if you're being successful or not is to track your training over a long period of time so really encourage you guys to write it down somewhere all right number 14 uh, on this thing all right so not following someone else's plan so olympians don't follow someone else's plan I'm talking to you, Ryan, of, I don't know how long ago it was, 10 years ago, when uh, after I ran 204 at Boston, right, which it was a pretty good run, and but, you know, I was fourth in that race, and Moses Mosop, I think he was second in the race to Mutai. Man, my memory's getting hazy. But anyways, so right, right after that race, I just ran 204, and I I am, like, intrigued by what Mosop is doing in training, right? And so, like, his training for leading up to that race got published on some website or something. So I looked it up, and I was digging through it, and I think it's good to, like, look at other people's training plans. Like, I always learn when I look at how other people are training, but you need to pull the principles from that, not just start following someone else's plan. So anyways, I started following Mosop's plan and I got hurt like three times in a row over a period of like nine months, right? So don't follow someone else's plan, especially if you ran 204 at Boston. Should have stick to, stick to my guns there. Um, but, you know, that's how you learn. You make mistakes and grow from it. And now I'm not prescribing Mosop's training plan to any of my athletes or any of you guys, so... Let's be happy for that. <laughs> All right, so let's move on uh, to how Olympians eat. All right, number one, they're intuitive eaters. So they listen to their body. And again, this was a mistake I made throughout my career where you know I was following a, a plan more than I was listening to what my body was craving. So really important that you guys know what feels good for you. A good way to do this is just to carry around a little food log from time to time and track what you eat and track how you feel afterwards. I was really bad at this throughout my career. Um, you know, I just eat stuff that tasted good and sometimes go and then have some dreadful runs where my stomach was just like really messed up as a result. And I could have avoided that by just like having a little food log and being like, okay, I ate this, had a really hard time with my stomach on the next run. So maybe I need to not eat that next time. But I didn't do that. But you guys should do that. <laughs> All right, uh, number two, uh, they don't overthink it. So oftentimes, like, I think it's really easy to get stressed out about nutrition and trying to do it just right, perfect nutrition, you know. But I find with a lot of pros I interact with and in, in Olympic athletes is, yeah, like some of them like are really regimented with it, but some of them are just like, you know, they just eat what they're craving, what they feel like, and they just don't overthink it. They just don't turn it into a really big issue. And obviously, and nutrition is one of our um, big fingers in our training plan. I think it is really important, something you can benefit from paying attention to. But at the end of the day, like, don't be so stressed out about it that it's causing you stress. All right, number three, uh, they enjoy their food. So I found this when I first started training on the Mammoth Track Club. I was like kind of surprised because it's training with some of the best athletes in America, and like they're having like dark chocolate and wine with their meals at dinner and stuff. And I was like, whoa. Like, you know, you just picture like 
Olympic athletes, best runners in America, they must just be so dialed, never, never have any wine, never any chocolate. And, you know, in those two situations, there's some healthy benefits actually from wine and from dark chocolate. Though be aware if you're eating dark chocolate at night, there's caffeine in chocolate, especially dark chocolate, there's more. So you can have sleep issues. And also with the wine actually too, that can also cause sleep issues, which I'm going to get into here in a little bit. But my point here is just, it's okay to enjoy your food, you know? It's okay to indulge a little bit of this and that from time to time. And, um, you know, you it's really important that you're happy in life and you're happy with your nutrition. Like, if you're happy with your nutrition, you're going to stick to it. If you're just like, I can't wait to get off this diet, I just hate eating this way, like, it's bound to fail. So make sure that you're enjoying your nutrition. Uh, number four, they have targeted supplementation. So I think the gold standard here is to get blood work done um, and see what kind of things you're deficient in. There's all kinds of, if you just like Google search like uh, blood tests for athletes, I think a whole bunch of different options will come up um, where you can order blood tests and see what's going on with your blood, what um, nutrients you might be deficient in and then add that into your diet. You can also do this on MyFitnessPal. Um, you can track your nutrition. We have all of our athletes track their nutrition for um, a three-day period when they first join Run Free. So you can do that and kind of see. Um, it tells you what nutrients you might be deficient in. So really important, especially with iron and uh, becoming anemic, especially for females, especially athletes who train at altitude. So you know you might be feeling terrible and train terrible, and simply just because you're low in iron. So really important that you target that supplementation and kind of like what we learned from um, the last couple podcasts that you know just taking a uh, one-off multivitamin might not be the best idea in the world so really you want to know what you're deficient in and specifically supplement those things all right number five uh they're aware uh, i already talked about this one i said they're aware of what foods make them feel good and bad so I already talked about that. Uh, and then here I have a last one on the eating and the nutrition and how Olympians eat is on uh, marathon-specific training. So really important, and I have all my athletes do this, that you guys practice exactly what you plan to eat the day before your long runs, the morning of your long run, and then during the long run. And not just long runs, but long thresholds as well. So you wanna teach your body to be able to take in calories. You know, a lot of people really struggle at taking calories during the run. And it a lot of times it's simply because they've never taken in calories. So the first time you do it, it might not feel great. You gotta start with really small amounts, really simple things. You know, uh, we always use Cytomax, but um, there's a whole bunch of different performance beverages you can take out there, gels, stuff like that. Um, I've also just messed with honey and water and always had really good results with that. I'd put a little bit of salt in there and um, that always sat really well in my stomach. So you can get creative with things you wanna try. Um, but do practice your exact nutrition protocol. The day before the race, you should be avoiding high fiber foods like I talked about in my previous nutrition podcast. Really simple diet, really plain eating. And then the same with the morning of and then during the workout. And I've gotten questions about like how to fuel during a marathon. I'd say the ideal is to take in six to eight ounces of performance beverage every three miles. 
that's kind of a general rule. Some athletes can handle more than that. And I would say whatever you can handle is what you should do when it comes to that. All right, so I hope that's helpful, guys. And we're going to move on into the sleep category. So number one, Olympians, uh, they protect and prioritize sleep. So again, a lot of this just comes down to like valuing something. Like when you really value something, you prioritize it, you make sure that it happens. And as I've said before in this podcast, sleep's the most performance enhancing thing you can do. It's when you grow, it's when you get better. So having, developing that high value for sleep, super, super important. I saw this actually uh, yesterday because I was up a lot of the night, two nights ago, like I was telling you guys with the puppies, and then uh, got up super early to help deliver the puppies and then tried to work out later in the day. And in the weight room, it's really fun because things are so, I feel like it's such a controlled environment that's really easy to tell when you're off. And man, I had like the worst lift ever yesterday. And it's because I just didn't get very quality sleep and not very much of it. So prioritizing sleep super super important and i'm sure you guys know that already but just a reminder all right number two uh they do the little things right with their sleep before they try supplements so i know it's really easy to just like start going down the supplement thing being like okay i'm gonna try melatonin and this and this and i'm gonna talk about some supplements i found that do work um a little bit later on but before you try supplements, like I, I like to think of supplements with sleep as being like, if you need it, but try not to use it, right? Like do everything else right first. So number one is just having a sleep routine. This one, that's so, so important. Like go to bed at the same time every night, go wake up every morning at the same time and set an alarm. I know a lot of people are like, you shouldn't set an alarm. You just sleep in until your body wakes. But the problem is with that is then you sometimes you're up in the middle of the night for a long time so you can't sleep and then you sleep in till like 11 and then you can't go to bed till super late and then you got to get up for work early the next morning so then when you get up for work you feel terrible so it's much better to just stick to a routine with running i mean with running with sleeping know what time you go to bed, get up at the same time every day. And if you have a rough night or you're awake in the middle of the night, just be like, okay, like I just got to get through today. And then I know I'm going to sleep really, really well the next day because you know, I had a rough night the night before, but I'm not going to allow myself to sleep in super late and then throw my whole sleep schedule off. So really important to just have that routine. And one thing with the, speaking of routine is just – uh, breaking this association with your bed as being a place where you're awake in bed. So this is something I actually learned recently listening to, I don't remember if it's a podcast or what, but he's talking about um, if you wake up in the middle of the night or if you're having a hard time falling asleep, if you're in bed for longer than 20 minutes, like get up, get out of bed, leave the room and do something boring, read a boring book. I don't know what else you can do with boring meditation, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, um, something like really boring and then when you get tired again go back into bed and try and fall asleep so you just really want to develop a super strong association that when i'm in bed i am sleeping so that's why I like having a tv in your bedroom not the best idea because then you're laying awake and you're watching television um, even like reading a book in bed in the daytime again you're building this association like I'm awake when I'm in bed. So you, you kind of want to break that off. And anytime you're in bed, you want it to be because you're going to sleep. 
All right, so uh, the next little thing you can do right with that, keeping your room cold. That's pretty straightforward. I've talked about that. Blackout shades. Um, yep, pretty straightforward. Having white noise can be very helpful, especially if you have little kids or puppies, whatever it might be. Uh, earplugs. I sleep with earplugs every night, even at home. Um, really helpful in just kind of drowning out some of that, that background noise that can wake you up. Uh, quality mattress and sheets bedding. You know, you spend a third of your life in bed, so investing in a quality mattress and sheets, like like you want your bed to feel like, you know, like the West End beds, you get in there and you're just like, oh, this feels amazing. Like like you want a sensation like that where you get in bed and you just feel like you just melt and you just can't wait to go to bed because it's so comfy, you know? Again, you spend a third of your life there, so a really good place to invest some dollars if you can afford it. Uh, avoiding screens we've talked about before up to an hour before bed try and stay off that iphone read a book instead uh what's the next prayer meditation prior to bed so doing something that's just super relaxing before bed is a really great way to fall fall asleep oftentimes our minds are running a million uh, seconds a mile and we just need to kind of quiet our mind so that it can slip into uh, sleep I've been using actually this app called Sync Tuition. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. It's it's kind of like a meditation app, but it's kind of really cool. It's like 3D sound that goes around you, you wear headphones in it, and they're like 25 minutes long, and those just really put me in a really relaxed state, and I usually don't even finish it. I usually fall asleep while I'm listening to it. So doing things like that, really helpful if you have a problem falling asleep. Um, having a journal by your bed to record your to-dos, you know that's been helpful for me in the past before you just think of all these things you got to do in the middle of the night when you wake up right so just write them all down get it out of your system so you can go back to sleep um trying to avoid light in the night which is funny that i put that right after talking about writing in your journal i guess you're gonna do that in the dark <laughs> but uh yeah you know light it disturbs your melatonin production and then you're awake so if you wake up in the middle of the night try to not look directly at light i usually like sleep with my watch on and use that as kind of like a light to get to the bathroom so i can go back and forth but trying to avoid that light as much as possible uh so i think this is kind of a state of that you can have uh leading into your sleep just having this state of like relaxation like non-stress like realize that you don't have to try to go to sleep like it's not like training right it's not something you're striving for it's like something you just want to let happen and be okay with like not if you don't fall asleep like don't freak out about it just be like okay like this is what's going on and now i'm gonna get up out of bed i'm gonna do something boring i'm gonna leave the room and when i start feeling sleepy i'm gonna come back and i'm gonna try and sleep again i i just said it try to sleep you're not trying to sleep you're letting yourself sleep um so just having this like state of like easygoingness when it comes to your sleep because oftentimes like once i can't sleep i'll start getting frustrated and then i'm like stressed out and mad and angry and frustrated and then i'm really not sleeping right it's like you're digging your own grave when you do that so just having this really laid back state with your sleep just being like this is just something i'm just gonna let happen this is just natural this is just part of life like this is what we do and not being like, I'm going to fall asleep. I'm going to make myself, you know, like that doesn't help to be like drill sergeant trying to get yourself to sleep. All right. Almost done, guys. Uh, relaxing activities before bed. I already kind of talked about that. But uh, one thing I found to be super helpful 
um, hot baths, hot showers, hot sauna, like anything warm, you know how it is, like even driving in a warm car and you're just like, whoa, I'm so tired right now. Like that tends to put me right to sleep. So if you're having a hard time falling asleep, that can be a good thing to go to. Uh, trying to limit your liquids the last two hours prior to bed. That way you're not waking up in the middle of the night having to go to the bathroom. I'm really bad at that one. I'm speaking to myself there because I usually have to get up to go pee a bunch of times. All right, um, avoiding caffeine uh, after noon. So I try not to take in caffeine after 12 o'clock. And be aware of things like kombucha. Um, I talked about dark chocolate. Anything with green tea extract. It's in a lot of supplements and stuff. So just read your guys' labels. Make sure you're not like secretly getting green tea extract in that supplement you're taking right before you go to bed. Really, really important. I think I've screwed myself up a bunch of times just because I'm like throwing down half of a dark chocolate bar right before I go to bed. Being like, this is weird. I wonder why I can't sleep. It's because there's caffeine in that. So just be really aware of what you're putting in your body after noon to make sure you're not getting in caffeine. All right, so now let's talk about supplements that have been shown to work. And I actually pulled this from examine.com and was checking into some of the stuff that they said worked. And they uh, recommended melatonin, lavender, and magnesium as being kind of the three supplements that work really well to aid you in sleep. So you can try those, see how those go for you. Another supplement they didn't recommend, but that I've personally had a good experience with is CBD. Um, I found that that definitely helps me sleep more soundly. So that's another thing you can try is CBD oil. Um, avoiding alcohol prior to bed. Again, it usually helps you fall asleep, but then the quality of your sleep is not as high quality. And oftentimes you're waking up in the middle of the night. So if you're going to have alcohol, um, I would recommend having it with dinner and not like right before you go to bed. All right, last one, guys. Uh, sleep trackers. I want to talk a little bit about this. This one's a little bit tricky because I think there's some really great sleep trackers out there. You know, Fitbit was one of our sponsors and we used to track our sleep with that. Um, Aura Rings is another kind of big one that people use. I would say if you want to track your sleep, if that's helpful for you, then great, like go for it, but don't let it become a stressed out thing. So for example, I tried the Aura Ring and it was saying I was getting like, I don't know, really low amount of quality sleep and I would be in bed for nine hours. So usually I'm like, oh, I was in bed for nine hours, great, like I'm good to go for today. I'm gonna be like high energy, feeling good. And, but I look at my Aura Ring data and it's telling me like, oh, you're in trouble. like. <laughs> Like get yourself ready. Like you didn't get enough sleep. Like like red flag, red alert, and it kind of gets it got in my head anyway. So I ended up returning it because I didn't I didn't like that part of it, you know. But teach their own. Some people can handle negative feedback better than others. Um, but just be aware of that when it comes to tracking your sleep. That if it's causing you more stress to sleep, then don't don't worry about tracking it. Like I like to just go off of how many hours was I in bed because I consider that rest and relaxation. So that's all I got for today, guys. Thanks for hanging with me through all that. Um, and next week, I'm going to wrap up the Making of Olympian series with my favorite thing. I'm so excited to talk about this one. My favorite component to becoming an Olympian, which is childlikeness. So we're going to dive into that next week. And then the following week uh, will be the week of the Olympic marathon trials, and we are going to get Sarah on here. So I'm really excited to talk to her, 
because I never talked to her, <laughs> um, to share that conversation with you guys. So until then, guys, happy training, and I'll catch you next week.